Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I'm here with Will Dukes, who is the Senior Strategist at Sales Partners. And Will is a good friend of mine from a community that we're both a part of with marketing stuff. And we found out that we had a lot of the same targets because Will works with attorneys and we work with attorneys as well. And over the last couple months of getting to know each other, I just thought, you know, we got to get Will on the podcast. He's got such an interesting background and combines things in a way that is very rare to see these days. So I'm super excited to have him on. Will, thanks for hopping on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. All right. So I wanted to start off with something. This is a little selfish because I've always seen this in your Zoom name, and I wanted to know the story behind it because when you pop on your Zoom, it actually says Sales Farmer. And I was curious about how that came to be. Yeah. So that was a, uh, a title given to me by folks in a, uh, another community, but it comes, I get it honest, right? So the high level or the surface level that they, they first saw is a lot of times when I'm talking about our you know, branding marketing sales frameworks with folks, I use these farming analogies, but I do that because one of my branding coaches years ago, she's like, you've got to go back to, to what you really know and your, your identity. And I, I grew up on a farm. In uh, the north part of Florida is a vegetable farm. And so, you know, I, I could drive you know, tractors at seven years old. And, you know, I had uh, kind of a full-time job in the summer, you know, working with migrant workers and stuff out in fields, picking things at uh, you know, 13, 14 years old. So all that, that kind of experience led me into ultimately becoming an, an agriculture teacher. I thought I was going to be a geneticist. I got a minor in molecular biology. That's kind of a, a different track and all that kind of changed. But I ended up graduating from the University of Florida out of the, the College of Agricultural and Life Sciences. And so that, that whole idea of farming and agriculture has always been you know, very much a, a part of, of what I do. And when I got into this business now, into you know, marketing and sales, it's a, it's a wild story that would have to be in a, a completely different uh, episode. But even the, the mentors and the people who originally brought me into that and uh, originally founded the, the original iteration of sales partners, you know, they ended up having farming backgrounds too. And so it, it just kind of naturally came out to that, that when I really started looking at and taking that branding coach's advice on you know, what do you really know and how can you relate that back to, to what you're doing with folks? Like, all right, all this branding and marketing and, and sales stuff, it really follows that same farming dynamic where at the end of the day, you're trying to produce something in your sales and marketing, right? You're trying to, to produce this sale, but you have to go through this whole process. And so on the farm, we would always first start with a plan. What are we going to plant? Where are we going to plant it? And then, and when, right? What, what season are we planting it in? But then you have to prepare the soil, right? You have to put all this work into to making this fertile environment before you plant a seed and then you plant the seed and then you have this long period where you have to, to cultivate it. You have to continue to nurture it and protect it as that crop starts to come up. And then eventually it'll set fruit and ripen. And then when it's ready, then you have to go in and harvest it. And then maybe not so much in modern times, but uh, certainly for hundreds of thousands of years or thousands of years, people would take that and then you propagate that into your next crop. So I looked at and laid that over sales and marketing and all right, well, you've got a plan. What are we going to sell? And 
who are we going to sell it to? And then we have to build trust and credibility and kind of create that fertile environment with that market that we're trying to reach. So that's branding, right? And then marketing was, in our definition, is always about lead generation. So then how do we plant that seed that then germinates into this opportunity? Now that you have an opportunity, how are you going to, to cultivate that? So maybe you have a short little sales cycle, like you're growing microgreens for a salad, or you may have some ridiculously long sales cycle that's you know, two or three years, like uh, you know fruit tree or something. But regardless, there's always that process of nurturing and protecting so eventually you get to the point where it bears fruit and then you have to be able to harvest it because I've known a lot of people who spend a lot of money in branding and marketing, but then they don't have any sales process. And then it all just kind of rots in the field and they don't get anything out of it. And then after you harvest it, then you need to deliver and you need to be able to, to get referrals, testimonials, upsells, repeat sales, whatever. You need to propagate that one sale into something else. So taking that as a, a framework into our clients' businesses and, and how they're approaching and really kind of designing campaigns for specific services and specific you know, avatars or ideal client profiles. That's that's how we approach it through that that whole cultivation cycle. And so it just started to to stick that that we were in fact the sales farmers. Yeah, that's fantastic. And one of the things that is not surprising to me about your story is that between the background of actually growing up on the farm and then, you know, especially going into the molecular biology stuff, it's like your default mode of thinking is sort of thinking about things and systems. And one of the yeah. things that I think people have, and you pointed this out, just it's such a crying shame when people get things 99% right. But the truth is a lot of things with, you know, developing trust and, and eventually moving forward and fulfilling on that stuff, you can have everything except for one step ready. You know, you can have a farm that's perfectly set up, but you just forget to water stuff for a month. And, you know, unfortunately, all that works for nothing, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly, exactly how it works. And then there's, uh, there, there's too many analogies. And that was one of the, that was actually one of the tests, right? Is, you know, my, that branding coach and some other people was like, well, I have this problem with branding or marketing or this or that. And I'm like, I can always find an analogy that falls back into that system. So like you say, all right, you, you forgot a, an important part or, you know, your, your fertilizer mix was missing a uh, micronutrient. Something, something is, is missing in that process, either, you know, in activity or you know, some type of fertility. And that's what's preventing you from getting the result that you want. Yeah. And I want to transition a little bit too, because this is something we were talking about a little bit on the pre-call. And it's something that I hear from, you know, prospects, people respond to the podcast, email us, you name it. It's just people have this feeling, especially when they're in that stage, when they're really trying to grow things for the first time. And it's just all of these things competing for their attention on what to focus on. But when you have the understanding of things from the big picture, you're able to zoom in on what actually matters because it's only ever the one thing, right? Yeah. So I want to kind of talk a little bit about what you see as the most common problems. And, you know, just to kind of scope down as well, too, I know you've been doing a lot of work with firms that are kind of in that stage where they've you know crossed the threshold, they're gunning for a million, maybe they just passed it, but they're looking to grow, but they're not quite the behemoths yet, right? Yeah. So, so what do you see is kind of, yeah, some of the common problems that are coming up with people and what, where they happen to be stuck. Well, I, I, you know, it's kind of funny when you look at, you know, often we put revenue numbers as kind of these demarcations of, of stages of growth and whatnot. And I think that's, that's true. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people are trying to, to get to that, that million dollar level, but you know, still a lot of our, our clients aren't necessarily the solo that just, you know, left their previous firm and hung up a, a shingle. There's a lot of things that they can do to, to kind of get, they, they just got to break six figures first, right? And then they're trying to, to get up to about that 250, 300,000 level. And that's generally where we can start to, to help them. You know, they, they'll have a, a legal assistant. Maybe they've got you know, an outsourced perception, something like that. 
So they're trying to, to break into half a million. But generally, the biggest problem that they're facing at that point is they're still responsible for most of the, the work in terms of the actual billable legal work. And they still have to figure out the marketing. And the, the struggle that I see so many people have, especially today, is that there's so much information out there. And I get asked a lot. It's like, oh, does this, does this work? Does, you know, does SEO work or do you know, social ads work? Do you know, YouTube content, does that work? Should I be on LinkedIn? And it's like all of these things work. They might just not work for you where you're at right now. And it takes kind of a, a strategic view to say, all right, I, I'm trying to get to this point, right? You know, in marketing, we talk about crossing the chasm or that gap and, and helping people to get there. It's like, all right, what really is the obstacle to your next point? Because the things you need to do in a law firm in terms of marketing to break a million dollars might not be the same that you need to do to, to break a quarter or, or even a half a million dollars. But I think most attorneys can really break that half million dollar level with a super basic website. They don't need any advanced SEO. If they have a Google profile, their profiles are up on Avo and, and a couple of places, and they're actively engaged in their local community and their bar association, maybe a chamber or a networking group, they can generally get the referrals if they're they're good on you know their operations delivery and everything else and, and build up through word of mouth. They can probably get there. They don't need to do all the other crazy things. But to get beyond that, to be able to support maybe an associate, a couple of paralegals, now they have to, to start looking into other channels and be able to, to bring people into those. And so then it's like, all right, well, do I just pay for Google local service ads? Or maybe I should call one of these 10,000 companies that are calling me every day saying they can send me the best qualified leads? Or do I try to generate them to my own? And so there's just all of these questions. And there's so many issues, really. I actually just started a, uh, a blog the other day. It's like, why lawyers suck at sales and marketing? And a lot of times it's not their fault because they're, they're smart people. But law school gets in their way. The bar association gets in their way. And just comparison and so many other things get in the way of them being able to actively just come down and, and, and really do this one thing. He, talking with another mentor of mine, if we narrowed it down to one thing, the problem that most attorneys have when it comes to marketing, but in, also in sales and their consultations, is that they believe that they have to show their prospective clients that they are the best attorney. But the problem is prospective clients don't pick the best attorney. Prospective clients pick the best attorney for them. They pick the best solution. And that doesn't mean the person that has all the credentials or has necessarily all the wins or the track record or all these other things that attorneys generally measure each other on in terms of their, their quality and uh, effectiveness. And so just spouting out credentials or diving into the strategy and explaining all these things to people without connecting empathetically to the client and communicating to them that you actually understand their problem, why it is a problem for them specifically, and that you understand what their desired outcome is, that's the biggest problem that gets in the way of attorneys. So that was a long roundabout way to, to get to that one answer. But I'd say that's, that's probably it, breaking from that kind of 300 to a million dollar level. Yeah, I think there's, a, you know, I definitely want to get into the sales side of things because I think the consultation room is one of the best places to really establish that. But another thing I wanted to talk about too, and, I, and this actually kind of explains something we're also talking about on the pre-call is that you've taken a lot of focus on helping attorneys niche. How do you think that process aids 
what you were just talking about. How does niching help people get to the impression where even somebody who may not be John Morgan can outcompete somebody who has better credentials or more years of experience or a bigger firm or something like that? Yeah. So you know, niching is another one of those things that it can be really confusing. And you see a lot of attorneys kind of get kind of bristle up or kind of resist this idea of, oh, you need to, to be a niche because like, all right, I'm not, maybe I'm not paying all my bills right now, or I'm not really there and I need to, to do this. So one of my clients right now, she's on that trajectory. Now it's, it's, you know, going from seven figures. Now she's got her sights on the eight figures. But when I started working with her, she was family law and estate planning. And eventually we had to cut out the estate planning and she just wanted to focus on family law. And even within family law, there's certain things that she really doesn't deal with or she'll refer to other family law attorneys. And being able to, to narrow down in terms of the actual services that are offered is kind of this interesting process because when you're very, when you're just starting out, you, you might not be the, the, the door attorney that just takes anything that walks in, but you, you kind of have a broad base of stuff just to pay the bills. But then as you start to grow, you narrow the focus down. And then as, if you really are starting to build a firm, then it might grow out and into other practice areas again, as you have other associates to, to take on and folks to deal with those divisions. But the biggest thing around niching and the, the thing that I try to get people to understand is you don't necessarily have to niche the practice area and the services if you are willing to niche the messaging. And what that means is, and to use a, that family law client again, she does divorces, she does post-judgment modifications, you know, she does paternities, you know, those are kind of the big areas. And then a lot of the little cleanups and post-ups, all that stuff, right? But we don't talk about all those things all the time. They're always all there up on the website if people found it or people found her in directories or, or those kind of things. That's there. But in terms of the content that's being created, we know that the majority of the divorces that get filed and that, that she sees just through historical data come in the first quarter. Now, of course, divorces are happening all year round and she gets them, but there is a huge peak in the, in the first quarter. So we focus the messaging around divorces in the first quarter. Then in the second quarter, you're going into summer breaks, and then it gets into post-judgment and people wanting to, to fight over the time-sharing schedule. And then you get it around into the, the holidays, and then it comes into enforcement on that because now somebody's decided they're going to take the kids on a you know, winter cruise or something. So understanding what problems we're really trying to, to focus and niche that messaging on becomes a, a key thing. That's seasonally throughout the year. But then you take it to another level, and now you really start to get into those, those client profiles. So I, we were chatting on the, uh, in, in the pre-call, like divorce for her right now. All right, she represents both sides in a divorce, you know, husbands, wives, whoever. And, but then you can divide that another way. So, all right, who's the petitioner and who's the respondent? And if the husband is the respondent, that's very different than if the wife is respondent, at least generally speaking from the kind of the problems or the questions that they're, they're asking or the concerns that they're having. And, and some of that comes with experience. So right now we're in the process of building a campaign that is specifically for professional men that are going to be the respondents, right? So they, the wife hasn't even filed for divorce yet, but they're expecting it. Maybe they've separated or maybe they're just, it's come up in conversations, but they're, they're not really going to act. Maybe they've kind of stuck their head in the sand, right? That is a psychographic profile that you have to niche down to. So now we can create content that is specifically targeted at that profile with those sets of problems and that what they're, they're facing into. Now you create something that's going to resonate at a, at a much higher level. And you can create that useful content that answers 
all those questions that are running people's you know, through their minds, whether it's kind of the, the outward, you know, the natural things like, oh, you know, what's alimony going to look like? What's child support going to look like? But also maybe gets into some of those kind of internal struggles, some of those emotions that maybe they don't even know how to, to express. But if, as you, I know you've heard, and maybe uh, a lot of the listeners have heard people talk about in marketing, uh, if you can explain and you can communicate the problem that your prospect is experiencing better than they can, they automatically assume that you have the solution to it or you know how to, to solve it and address it. So that's really where we really try to get to into, uh, into the niching is where can we create that messaging and that content that is going to resonate with a, a particular problem that a particular specific kind of profile is experiencing and then lead them through that process that helps them to understand how the solution that you provide is going to get them to the outcome. Yeah, man, we are cooking with gas now. That is fantastic stuff. <laughs> and the podcast host of me wants to go into tactics and talk about networks and that kind of thing. But the copywriter in me is super curious about the research that went into that. So how are you able to identify these different things? Was this data that you were able to find publicly or did you work closely with the client to analyze her caseload? How did you do this? Because, you know, obviously this, this is stuff that comes from reality, but to have insights like that, and I've heard before, like, you know, the, the stuff that separates good copywriters from great copywriters is research. And this is, you know, clearly something that you put a lot of thought into. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give two different examples because it is in kind of two different situations, right? Appropriately for, for that family law attorney. For her, she'd been practicing and her practice had been open for over 10 years or about 10 years. So we could look back at three years of historical data. And the first time that we actually did this, which is what led us into me and to, to, to that organization that we're a part of, we did that on a post-judgment campaign. So it was in the fall. And so we looked at her data. And so we actually broke it down and said, all right, give me all the cases that are post-judgment for the last three years. Let's look at them and let's Let's start to sort these out. And so we sorted them all out by, by case value, like who are the most valuable of these types of cases? And then when we did that, we realized, all right, it's slightly biased. It wasn't as much as I thought it might've been, but it was like 65, 35, the dads who were filing uh, post-judgment. And so it's like, all right, let's, let's focus on dads, but then let's get into it a little bit more. It's like, all right, what are they actually filing post-judgment for? Is it for child support? No, for dads, it's usually not child support. It was actually for timeshare. So the, the most valuable cases that she had that we could kind of separate out were divorced dads, not even ones that came off paternity judgments, but still as post-judgment. So we separated that out. It was divorced dads that wanted to get more time in the, the settlement or in the, the marriage settlement agreement with their kids. And so that became the avatar and that became the, the focus. So then when we started to, to dig in, it's like, all right, what is actually the messages that are going to, to resonate with that? That's when we started doing, all right, let's, let's test some pain points with this. We'll, we'll test it broad. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to test things sometimes in a very, very local market, uh, you know, if you're using like ad testing and stuff. So we, we did it nationally, but we really got down to, all right, the, uh, as far as, the, what was the headline? Five things, divorcing dads. No, five things ex-wives do that give dads more time with the kids. Something, some of that, it may be off a little bit, but the, like that had a you know, great, great response. And so we were able to, to create the content that, that went with that. So it was kind of a combination of looking at historical data versus um, looking at, at kind of the testing the points. And then there was also a lot of that. All right, let's sit down. So when you look at our avatar sheet, it's, it's like four and a half pages of questions. And there's like this little section about, 
geographics and this little question section about demographics. And then it's like four pages of psychographics for you. What is their problem? What emotions are they feeling? You know, what are they going to experience? And then there's a little section at the end that kind of gets into, all right, what is actually the solution to this? And we just did that process with that same one for these, um, the, the divorcing men. And we had to get down and really kind of talk through like, all right, what, what really is the problem that you're solving for men in this particular situation? Not ones that have already been served, right? But ones that are knowing that it's going to, it may happen and they need to prepare. All right. Well, their biggest problem is they're sitting stuck in uncertainty about what's going to happen. And they stick their head in their sand and they don't do a lot of the things that they need to, to prepare for divorce. And they end up getting into the divorce then, and then they start making all kinds of bad decisions and they give away things they shouldn't, or they make settlements that they shouldn't do there. And that's the, the problem, but it also keeps them from other relationships and may keep them from jobs and promotions. And that all came from her experience just with clients in that situation. before. So combining all of those things really is what helped us kind of get down into the, the niches of these are the problems. These are the things that we're pretty confident are going to, to resonate. And then we can validate those with testing. The other example that I'll give briefly, one that we're working on with a, she's a you know, corporate business attorney, but one of her specialties that she does is, is creating private lending packages. And she's also an immigrant. And so she can create these private lending packages for individuals like high net worth individuals that are in other countries that are, you know their their currency is devaluing really bad. And so she's trying to help them get their money out, but maybe they don't want to come and buy real estate and have to do all that from another country. But getting into to private lending could be something that could be a good vehicle for them. So with her, she has some experience with it. It's not like she just came up with this out of known, but we don't really have for that particular geographic market, not as much historical data. So we're going to rely on testing and, and doing some other things in terms of, of building the content out, but all kinds of different processes to go into to the research, but it's try to validate, but, but dig into the experience is the, the big things. Yeah. And that's kind of where the art meets the science, right? It's like, you have a lot of different sources, but all of them have to stand up to the scrutiny of, of testing as you're kind of getting into that. And to kind of compound on that a little bit, my next question was the tactical stuff. Cause I remember this is super funny, probably the first book I ever really read that got me indirectly into attorneys because a lot of it was the old Perry Marshall book on, uh, on Perry Marshall's book on AdWords. And I remember the headline stuff was like, hey, you're trying to sell divorce attorneys in Tampa? <laughs> Your headline is divorce attorneys in Tampa. And I know that not every you know method of advertising with the stuff is going to be conducive to this. I know you've mentioned content before, but how can people take what you're learning here? Like, what are the channels that you're able to apply? And how is that different than you know your your block and tackle you know day one bro marketer playbook for how to get law firm phones ringing? Well, the the other key thing to understand is you know, who I'll use this analogy. Are you trying to fish for clients or are you actually trying to, to cultivate clients? And you have to think about that, that continuum. I can't remember who originally came up with it, but we've probably all heard about, you know, like being, are, are they problem aware? Are they searching for a solution? Are they solution aware? And uh, the problem with like AdWords, and it's a, it, it can be a viable source, right? And you just have to be at the right stage and, and have the, the budget to do it and the intake and everything else. And understand that, if you're sending out a headline like that, you know, you're really just kind of fishing for clients who are at that point that they're actively searching. Like that used to, I've heard it many times. Like that's what people would pitch. Like, yeah, when you do AdWords, you got people who are you know on fire. They're, they're ready to go. Well, that's true. But people that are doing that are, unless they're coming through a referral 
And, and even then sometimes like they're, they're shopping around, like they're looking for multiple solutions and you have to, uh, to have a, you know, solid intake process. You're like, you can't let the phone ring. I was at a, uh, a legal conference, you know, or oh, it was back in November or something like that. And they, they had called like a thousand of the attendees and like recorded the calls and they like threw up stats on the screen about how many of them you know, didn't pick up within like five rings and then how many of them got put on hold and never came back and how many of them had, um, you know, like uh, outsourced reception, but then there was like ridiculous static in the line and how many people just left a message or had a voicemail or something, you know, those kinds of things. And if you're, if you're looking at getting clients that are like that, you have to think about the rest of the system and the processes. Of it. That's why going to the content side is said, all right, now let's maybe think about people who are just problem aware and they're, they're the ones that are just kind of looking for stuff online or maybe they're, they're interested in it, but they're still a little ways from being able to make a decision. Like they haven't gotten enough information to, to make any kind of confident decision in moving forward. So if you're going for, for that people, to use the farming analogy, you know, those people that, you know, maybe they're, they're more of like a, a seedling opportunity and you're going to have to cultivate that for a while. That's where the content is going to come in in handy. And that's not necessarily like, you know, tick, got an immigration client and I was like, how do you really feel about video? And she was like, no, it's like, I, you know, deal with these corporates. And, and, you know, if I'm on TikTok doing some dancing, like I'm down. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do that, but you know, can you do a video webinar that maybe we could cut up into some small content? She's like, okay, yeah, that, that, that I could, I could probably do. So it's really kind of understanding where people are at in that process and then designing the, the content that helps move them to, to the next stage and empowers them to, to be able to take action. And the beautiful thing about that is if you're willing to do that longer play, by the time those leads get to you, then it's almost like they came through a referral because they've had interactions with you for you to build that trust and that credibility that a referral naturally gives to you. Somebody is lending you their credibility and their trust with that individual and saying, hey, go, go talk to them. And so you're already that much farther ahead. And so by developing the content that helps people and empowers them, gives them that information, answers the questions that are burning with them, now you have added value to them and that's going to naturally get trust, especially when you can be empathetic specifically to their, their problem. Yeah, I think it's such a fascinating place that you're you're operating in, Will, because it's it's people traditionally think of so many of these attorney things as hair on fire. And like just using the divorce example, right? There's a lot of people that are reactively Googling divorce attorney near me when they get served the papers. But I mean, shoot, we've all been in bad relationships at one time oh, yeah. or another, right? You probably saw the writing on the wall 18 months before some of those things went down. So to be able to do that, and it's kind of funny, I think um the levels of awareness thing is I, I, I have this I have this book tattoo on my brain because I've read it so many times, but um, Eugene Schwartz, he also says that in order to go to the less aware stages in, in that buying process, it takes greater skill as a marketer. So I think the, the landscape has been shifting a little bit with legal. And I think with the introduction of stuff like LSAs, you know, I think we really can kind of consider these strategies of just last mile stuff. It's, it's sort of the blue chip, like, you know, it's going to work. You're not going to make a tremendous return on it. And I feel like the doors closed on a lot of these things. Like, you know, I remember back when I got started, it was everyone was pitching SEO. No one's going to try to get a $10,000 SEO contract for 12 months before the phone's going to ring sold these days. It's damn near impossible. But yeah. I think as, as time moves on and not to throw too much stuff from the mix, 
fascinating post I saw from a copywriter friend of mine the other day too. When we were talking about stuff like ChatGPT coming in the mix, you know, that really low level copy is going to be completely automated out very, very soon. So it's like the way that you're going to try to find some value in the market and try to be able to find these patches is going to involve a lot more in-depth thinking, like the kind of stuff that you're doing as time goes on. And yeah, maybe people have to think outside of the box because you're not going to compete against the biggest guy in, in your state for heads up as you know, whatever your practice area happens to be. But if you want to carve out the definition of the battleground, however you want to do it, that's, you know, art of war 101. Yeah, <laughs> the absolutely. Okay. And I just also kind of want to comment as well, too, if, if you guys aren't reading between the lines on this stuff, you know, the ability of, of, I think what you're able to do and look at these things holistically, well, you know, it obviously speaks to experience on a lot of different things, but I feel like there's a lot of people that are super siloed on this stuff, either on the intake side of things or on the marketing side. So I just wanted to ask you a couple of quick rapid fire things, if that's okay. Sure, sure. What do you think marketing people don't understand about sales? The biggest difference is ultimately the performance metric. And so a lot of times when you come into marketing, you're looking at that, that next stage and all right, I got them across the, that line. So you know, to, to use a football analogy, oh, I got them the, the first down. But at the end of the day, the biggest thing they don't understand is that if your client is not prepared to take that lead that you may deliver on a silver platter and take it across the gold line, they're not going to score any points. If they can't convert that client into a retainer, the ROI on all the marketing, all the brilliant stuff that the, the marketing did to get in that point is zero. And that is a, a huge struggle. And that's why we actually partner. Like I, I tell people all the time, like I am not a tactical marketer. Like we can help you with messaging. We can help you with targeting. We're, we're strategically aligning, but don't ask me to design your website. You know, we don't do, do graphics. We can do some copywriting, but we mainly just kind of do some editing or make sure things are aligned to that point. We're not creating tons of content or anything like that. What we want to do is help bridge that gap because there's so many marketing companies that do such great work, but they get tied up with clients that weren't in the right stage or didn't have all the other pieces in place. And, and you know, it's kind of like dropping a souped up engine in a car that has you know terrible transmission and suspension, like you're just not going to get the performance out of it. Yeah. Okay. What do you think salespeople don't understand about marketing? I think a lot of salespeople don't understand that they are often marketers. And uh, here, one of the things just to uh, piss off some of my sales training friends, <laughs> a lot of them still, you know, rely on prospecting and uh, cold calling and things like that, which is out of the, the realm of attorneys and solicitation. But like that, that is ultimately marketing. And and, you know, anything that you're doing to, to actually generate the leads is, is on the marketing side. But what they really don't understand is typically the, the historical stereotype, right? Is that the you know, sales guys are, are the hunters and they're just going to look out there and th they're going to, to close. But that whole shift, whereas a, a marketer is really kind of trying to, to be that farmer, is trying to, to cultivate and develop something. And bring in, or or you maybe it's the, the the fisher and they're trying to create a better bait. But if the the sales guys don't communicate back to the marketing, like all these insights that they're getting on the the back end, then marketing is shooting in the dark a lot of times. Like the sales guys often are getting so many of these great insights from the clients of what their problems really are, and that the marketing never have an opportunity to to hear. And that, that's why so many times we see companies where a marketing is, is just yelling at sales because they're not using the leads and sales is like not even is just ignoring the marketing leads because they say they're not qualified, but they're not communicating back and forth on what actually a qualified.
Yeah, that's awesome. And then if, if this isn't too much of a big question, <laughs> I think this is, I wasn't planning on asking this, but based on that question, like how do you see people integrate this in a way that, you know, both hands can feed the other? So the key to that is you cannot gauge performance. Uh, you, you can't look at those things separately, right? Because if you have your marketing company or you know, vendors or even you know, an internal marketing assistant and you tell them that their job is just to generate leads, they can generate leads for you all day long. And people have had plenty of those uh, cases where you can go and there's you know, a dozen companies that you can call up right now and say, oh yeah, it's just, just pay us per lead. It sounds so great. But you can't look at it just in silos and, oh, how many impressions that I get? How many things that I get? It all has to connect. And so when you think about things in terms of a campaign and saying, all right, for, for this quarter, our focus, we want to increase this number of this many types of cases. You have to look at that entire process that if I'm going to convert this many cases, and that actually means I need this many consultations. And if I need this many consultations, I need this many sales qualified leads to, to come in and to get that many sales qualified leads. And I have to have this many marketing qualified. And most you know, attorneys aren't even thinking about in, in those terms, but they still have to think about begin with the end in mind and, and work backwards. What do you actually need? Do that. What's the, the source that's going to bring those in? And when you make that shift in, in focus from I'm looking at marketing as just marketing and I'm looking at sales as just sales, and you see that it is got to be this continuous process that you solve kind of like a Rubik's Cube, right? You can't just solve one piece at a time. You do have to be aware of the whole thing then you can start to, to shift the processes. And just from that very inception, you know, where you're out there preparing the soil, creating your branding, I'm creating branding because this branding is going to give us qualified leads. Those qualified leads are going to come into our processes and we're going to be able to take the person that has that impression of us, has that mentality and is going to, to come to our process and get to the consultation knowing that they are looking for our services and it is really just a, a last few minutes specific questions to them that they're looking to to get answered to to validate this whole process and then they're then they're ready to sign the retainer. Yeah. That's fantastic. It's a uh, super tough to follow that response well so I'll I'll not even attempt. But um I think this has been a fantastic conversation. I've I've really enjoyed it. For anyone in the, I want to be respectful of your time though. As far as uh you know people that are resonating with this, what's the best way to uh, to get into your world? So the easiest way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. If you just look for uh, Will Dukes, it'll come up and say Will Dukes Sales Farmer, Will Tractor in yeah. it uh, in my name. That's the, the easiest way. Our website's uh, Sales Partners Florida. But the if anybody is just curious of how this works for them or kind of where where they're at in that growth and development, like what are the the best things that they should be doing? Like I, I'll generally have a a conversation with folks just to. You know, for free, just to understand kind of where they're at and if it's a good fit. And if it makes sense, then we can do a uh, a deeper dive client cultivation consultation where we kind of map out you know what what is a high level look at a, a strategy where you're trying to develop a specific service for a specific client profile. What what that would actually look at. But the uh, initial just Q and A session consultation that's that would be free for any of your listeners. Okay, I appreciate that. Well, and I'll mention this because you didn't. When we talked about this before, you don't you charge for your initial consult. So that's actually something that uh, is not on the, just it's a free consultation for, for anything. So if, if anyone is interested, I'd highly recommend taking advantage of that. And I also mentioned this, I don't know if there's an official ranking for this, 
But if you're looking at the best facial hair in the legal marketing sphere you'll, uh, on LinkedIn, you'll know you're on Will's profile because you have probably the best of the industry and probably the best that I ever see on a regular basis. That's an incredible mustache, man. Hey, man, COVID brought out a, a lot of interesting things and a lot of people. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd had a mustache for a while, and but then all of a sudden, we're not going anywhere. I'm like, hmm, let's, just, let's just see where this goes. And, and this is where it's ended up. Let's go all the way. Yeah, for anyone who's watching this on uh, on video, too, you know what I'm talking about. But um, well, it's been an awesome conversation, man. Super appreciate it. Anyone, we'll we'll get our, the links to all that stuff in the show notes. But um, yeah, really, really love this combo. And for everybody else, I'll see you guys next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com/podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.